Hey, it's the Bon Appetit Foodcast, and I am Adam Rappaport. Uh, first up this week, Carla Lolly Music, talking about her favorite dessert, galettes. Uh, she wrote a beautiful story in the September issue on this all-purpose dessert. Uh, it includes a fail-proof dough that you can fill with literally anything. Well, not literally anything, but all sorts of things, be it end-of-summer stone fruit, berries, or fall pears and apples. Carla is a master, and she schools me on how to do it right. Uh, after that, we are kicking off a new podcast mini-series. We are having a different member of our test kitchen come in each week for the next several weeks to do a lightning round of their personal top 10 cooking rules. First up, the one and only Brad Leone. But now, let's get to the show. Here is Carla Lolly Music. Okay, here is my galette pitch. Are you ready for it? Ready. It's not fruit pie, it's fruit pizza. Hey. <laughs> How do you like that? I just don't think you need to like try to make pie sound more appealing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not a big pie fruit pie fan. Eating or making? Either. Okay. I just Interesting. the reason I love galettes and I love your story in the new September issue of Bon Appetit. Yes, you can galette that. I love the proportions of a good galette. It's like it, it, f- it feels to me it's equal parts buttery, flaky, touch salty, crackly crisp crust with sort of syrupy ripe fruit. Yeah. My issue with fruit pie, like a blueberry pie that I've seen, I, I don't actually eat them. I just see them. <laughs> okay. There's just so much of that gloppy blueberry with the crust and it's like you can literally serve them in a bowl and like the proportions, it's just too much glop to not enough crisp. See, so my argument for a galette is... I just think pies are much harder to do well. So everything that you're saying, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. And I think part of the artistry of pie making is figuring out how to get the filling so that you do get the clean slice and Mm. the whole thing doesn't run out all over the plate and that the top crust like doesn't get too steamy on the underside, but the bottom crust doesn't sog out. Like there's a whole, it's complicated. There is, not to mention... If we want to get into the whole world of like crimping and lattising. Oh, I'm terrible at crimping. So that's where a lot of my like galette attachment came from. Every time I made a pie, I would get the slump. I like, I don't know. I I had I have had many conversations with Claire Savitz and Chris Morocco. Like, what the hell? Every time I make it, it's like up on the edge of the pie rim and then it just wants to slide downtown and they were like Hmm. you might be doing this you might be doing that you might be doing the other thing the thing with a galette is like all you you need to be able to make a dough and mound a fruit and then some casual folding yeah you know what carla (laughs) you've got a husband you've got two teenage boys basically one teenage one's coming you got got a full-time job i got a tween which might be worse than a teen i don't know you've got enough other things to worry about (laughs) than slumping and latticing and crimping can't do it just make something delicious and rustic exactly and then i will say i i i don't have i don't dislike pie but i just like it better when somebody else makes it Mm. but the part of the galette where it's folded over so you do get top and bottom so the the crust part where you you lay the fruit in then you crimp over the edges like if we go back to our pizza you Mm. know analogy like the crust crust. yeah the crust crust (laughs) that is kind of the best part because yeah. that's you get that sugary top crust mm. part. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at a photo. 
in the September issue of Bon Appetit. You can subscribe at bonappetit.com slash get the mag. Please do. We will hugely appreciate it. Bonappetit.com slash get the mag. Yeah, we're right. actually making a magazine over here. <laughs> I know. We still do. Um, all right. So this gorgeous shot of a, on the left, an uncooked crust kind of like folded into itself. And in the middle is this beautiful mound of glazy, I would say uncooked crust with uncooked peaches and plums correct and then on the right it's all baked and golden brown and flaky and there's and a little scuba ice cream in the middle should we start with the crust because this was this was the part of the process i've made galettes before i've definitely made apple ones before around thanksgiving i don't know what i'm doing when it comes to crust you seem to have very particular thoughts when it comes to getting that buttery flaky crust yeah so i worked on this particular method for a butter crust when i was i actually started I first heard about it many years ago and it was on an episode of remember when Julia Child would do like Julia Child and Master Chefs it was mm, like yeah. Julia Child and a chef and she was on with Jim Dodge who's kind of a legendary pastry chef and cookbook author and he was making an apple pie with her and he did this crazy method where instead of rubbing the butter and flour together or cutting it together with or pulsing your, it with yeah, your with your fingertips or doing it in the food processor, which is like what I grew up watching my mom do, he rolled the butter into the flour. So he just like tossed it all together, the well, big, big pieces of butter, all-purpose flour, a little bit of sugar, the salt. So the same thing that you would normally put into your food processor and pulse. He just dumped them out and then just got out a rolling pin and started rolling everything together. And I was like, well, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And then I tried making a, a crust that way and it was incredibly flaky. So I've just been tinkering with this method for years now. And I ended up really getting into it when I wrote my book. And the version in the magazine is a further adaptation of the, the, the one that I did in the book where I you just keep tweaking the proportions and messing around with it. So yeah, so yeah, so there's a first of all there's step-by-step photos which helps immensely when you're with baking and also trying to explain a, a new technique to someone. Yeah. It says um you've got the sh- sugar, salt, one and a half cups flour, and then you cut the butter and it's basically three fourths cup, which is one and a half sticks, into six rectangles rectangular pieces when you say rectangular does that mean we're going lengthwise yeah so what i normally do is you have so it's a stick and a half of butter so then cut the full stick in half at the four tablespoon mark so you have like yep you know the same and then cut each of those in half oh clever top to bottom and then you end up with like rectangular planks okay and then you're rolling the you toss them in the flour and that mixture and then you start rolling them out and what you're left with as i see in the step by step which is nice are these long sort of strips that are kind of hanging out together but still kind of separate yeah and you're scraping them all up with the scraper into a pile and at that point you start adding the ice cold water right so the advantage of this um is one you don't need a food processor so i really like that it's like minimal equipment i'm pretty sure i demoed the this technique for the dough in the naked naked apple tart video which is also online so you can kind of see me do it on that but you end up with sheets of butter that are tossed into the flour and you don't need a food processor to get it down to side and then if you are you know using your hands i think a lot of people overwork the butter get it too small um and that can lead to problems where you don't get your flaky bits 
And so it's just sort of mimicking what you want in the end, which is sheets of butter threaded throughout the flour. Because what happens in the oven is when the butter starts to melt with the heat of the oven, it releases steam. And the steam helps open up these air pockets. And that gives you flakiness. And that gives you flakiness. So instead of flakiness, which is really like round pockets here and there, when you have sheets, flat sheets of butter, you get like a lot of more like puff pastry, thin layers sort of throughout. I'm always a little, the times I've made pie dough, not a big baker, when you start to add the cold water, I'm like, well, I don't want to add too much because then it's going to get gummy or doughy or whatever, but I don't want to if I add too little, it's not going to come together. What is your rule of thumb in terms of with this type of crust? How I mean, do, there's how, a how measured you know? amount of ice water. I think one thing that has helped me it has been to use a larger measuring cup than what I actually need the amount of ice water and just make a big like measuring cup filled with ice water and then measure out of that. Okay. Instead of trying and to put li- in ice, ice cubes. water, you mean literally have ice cubes in that Correct. water. Correct. So I'll gotcha. take like a two cup measure and fill that with ice and water so the water is like really freezing cold and then you can just measure from that question yes let's say you're making this pie crust pie galette crust on a day like today it's now august like 20th or something it's kind of humid out and hot and muggy heat wave i don't know what day it is does that affect the the amount of water you add or how the the crust comes together? I think hypothetically, yes. And I think that very nuanced bread bakers are going to notice, you know, humidity. I think the bigger factor is actually the temperature of your kitchen and how fast your butter is going to melt mm-hmm. on a okay. hot day. Okay. Yeah. So like, Do you have the AC cranking or not? Yeah, I don't have AC in my kitchen, so I'm not going to do a ton of butter work. So you've got this rolled out crust. You put it in the fridge to rest for a little bit once you roll it out? Yeah. All purpose. You can kind of put any type of fruit uh, you want in here. What is, in terms of, do you have a favorite type of fruit, or what? What are some basic pointers in terms of how much fruit to add? I also notice like cornstarch in some of these. What's the deal with cornstarch? But not all of them. Help me out here. So you can use any fruit, and that's how I develop the recipe so that the temperature of the oven doesn't change, the quantity of the dough doesn't change, and the weight of the fruit doesn't change. So four hundred degrees. Uh, is it? It is. It says 400 degrees right there on every single recipe. You should know this. <laughs> I should, but do we drop the oh, fruit right then away? Place yeah, you drop it to 375. What's up with that? So the reason that I did that is because when you open the oven, you you lose like 50 degrees right off the bat. So do, having do it, you, do you, you really? do. Really? I've done this with digital thermometers. Oh, you really do. And it's like kind of shocking. So I start at 400 just to make sure that when it goes in, it's closer to the actual target temperature which is 375 okay i like that that probably helps the the bottom get crispy yeah and it helps the top get the nice browning too and it helps with like you know slumping and sweating and stuff so you the amount of fruit is um the same in all of them it's two pounds total but i did divide things up so there's a berry version there's a stone fruit version and then there's the fall fruit in the fall fruit it's apples and or pears you can combine those you could do half and half or whatever you could do all apple or all pear and we've talked about how certain apples are better for baking than yeah. others they stay, hold their shape better right we like pink ladies yep. um they're great i 
apples and pears also have their own natural pectin, which helps them, and they don't like juice out the way yep. a berry does. Interesting. So that's why that one does not have any cornstarch in it because you just don't need it. They're okay. just not like not releasing that right. much okay. liquid, and so it's I unnecessary. Like, I like how in the photo yeah. for the fall fruit galette, you left the red and green skin on the apples and pears. You've got this beautiful sort of red-green ombre situation. Yeah, happening. so that was another thing that I kind of discovered by accident. I was making a different galette, a legendary galette in Bon Appetit, Allison Roman, salted butter, maple whipped cream, apple galette Goes. from no, our November issue of several years ago. Like 2013 or 12. Yeah, which I had made a bunch of times. And then one time I made it and I just forgot to peel the apples. Like the recipe said to peel them and I just like straight up didn't do it. You should have a YouTube show. <laughs> Your next YouTube show should just be called Carla Music, the lazy baker. Right. Just like, oh, I forgot to. Yeah. Just, and then, like, just, I like rustic desserts. Yeah. And like, as I was shingling them, I was like, oh, yeah, I was definitely supposed to peel those apples. And like, I'm definitely not going to now. And it was fine. When you're eating them, they don't get like papery or anything or not stuck really. in your teeth. No, no it's fine. It's it, looks, fine. it looks prettier and this way. And I feel way. like, you know, I'm a little inspired by, I don't know if these are true stories, but stories of like French you know, dessert chefs who would like leave the cherry pits and the cherry clafouti mm. tea and just be like, that's your, Deal with that's it. your problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I, and I like the way it looks too. And it also gives flavor and it protects the fruit. I think maybe a tiny bit from drying out. I don't know. Oh, wait. So question. So this looks great. You got the, the apples in the middle and there's in terms of there's a little cinnamon in there or anything like that in terms of This one flavoring. has fennel seeds. Fennel seeds. Yeah. Ooh, nice. That's kind of like um sometimes in that sort of German apples and cabbage and fennel seeds exactly. sort of deal i like that there's something like savory and sweet about it and uh i tried the first version of it i really wanted to use coriander so i used like whole coriander seed like going for that you know how the coriander seed is like lemony and Mm -hmm. very bright and i thought that would be nice with the apple and kind of a chutney-ish way and i just you just couldn't taste it like for the amount of coriander seed that you had to add so i switched to fennel and it worked these are optional you don't have to add the fennel seed if that doesn't sound appealing to you but there's something really nice about it. It's a little different. I like the sound of it. Yeah. Sounds like also you think about sausage and apples sometimes. Sure. Seeds and sausage. Do you, you mentioned also some sort of like some elements to hop it up your galette. It could be fennel seeds, could be coriander. You know, it's about lemon zest or lime zest in there. It's just a nice way to sort of brighten the fruit a little bit. Yeah. So I played around with um, each of these having a, a dry spice element to them and then all of them have an acidic element, which you always need when you're making a pie filling or galette filling, something to offset the sweetness or and enhance the sweetness really of the of the fruit. So whether it's apple cider vinegar in one or lemon juice in another, mm. they're semi-interchangeable. You just have to think about including it and then you could play around. Like I feel like that the apple one could totally work with lime juice and but then but the the zest adds a more of a a, a, a fragrant ar- yeah. aromatic and mm-hmm. you mix that in with the For sugar sure. yes yeah. mix that in with the sugar heat heat is interesting you also talk about whether a black pepper is something like you, if you're going to italy they'll sometimes serve strawberries with yeah. black pepper and balsamic and totally. stuff and you recommended that for your strawberry one yes yeah i really like it i like the little bit of heat that you get from it but again if you wanted to try messing around with like a pinch of cayenne that could be cool too i tried um using tagine in the plum one and it didn't quite work out because i wanted all of the quantities to stay mm. the same for this story and the amount of tagine you need to use would be like more. Ah, but gotcha. you could kind of get into your spice cabinet and 
think about Another it. Another question. So yes. when you guys in the test kitchen are developing recipes, every afternoon you have tastings and you set these things out and invite some editors down to taste them. What sort of response or criticism or sort of enthusiasm did you get from the editors when introducing things like black pepper or, or fennel seeds? Yeah, people were into it. The biggest... Um the, the biggest thing we talk about is like if you're going to add something that's unexpected or unusual, it needs to be worth it. Hmm. So with the coriander, like we just couldn't taste it. So then it was like, like well, what's the f- point? Yeah. I'm telling someone to like crush coriander seeds and it's like you're not even going to really get it. The biggest feedback I got was that the galettes needed more sugar. So, so, so sugar at, so, while in the fruit with filling. The fruit. Oh. Yeah, the sugar in the pie dough is really minimal. And yeah. if you increase sugar too much, you get bad things start to happen. I don't understand the science of it, but like to, when you add a very sweet butter crust, will become uh, very hard to work with, yeah. temperamental, mm. very delicate. So, that wasn't the issue. The issue was I was like barely using any sugar to toss the fruit with. And in my book, I don't use any what? and i realized yeah is it too late to change that no apparently um yeah it is and i like it's so funny because i made because it's already printed it's already printed and people are making those galettes and seem to be enjoying them but and it was it was an intentional decision and a personal decision then because i like the idea of the fruit kind of just being the fruit you know mm-hmm. and like it bakes for a long time and it softens a lot and it changes and the fruits were interchangeable also um but when i started working on the galette for ba it's a totally different scenario like you said where i'm in the test kitchen with all my comrades we're like tasting each other's food we're talking about it and everybody was like you have to put more sugar and i was like do i though And it was like yeah you do so the sugar every time we did the tasting like it kept going up and up and up and we ended up at a third of a cup which i think a lot of recipes you look at are like half a cup or more so it's still minimal like you're still getting mostly the natural sweetness of the of the fruit, and that's just, I think, for me, a personal preference. I don't like super sweet yeah. pie fillings like that. What you were but describing cr- at the beginning, it's yeah. always they're so sweet and like syrupy, and yeah. But it's it's crazy. I mean, you've made like jam before. It's insane the amount of sugar that jam recipes call in- for. Insane. Yeah, you're like, wait, what? How much <laughs> like sugar am I putting in this box? Sugar? Yeah, I did this that <laughs> demo at Outside Lands a few weeks ago. In San Francisco with Jessica Koslow from Squirrel, and she's famous for her <clears throat> the squirrel uh, jams from a restaurant in L.A. And it's I was like I don't want to say I was appalled, but I was like eyes wide open. I was like, holy cow, the yeah. amount of sugar going in that pot. It's at least equal in weight, yeah. Yeah, right? It's, it's a lot, and sometimes it's more sugar than by weight than the fruit. Speaking of sugar, however, uh, sorry. So you have you have a mostly savory, buttery, slightly salty crust, which I love. One thing you do when you fold it over on the edges, first you brush it with heavy cream. Yeah. What's the difference between heavy cream and egg wash as far as a wash? Does it uh, matter? N- it, either one would work. Mm. I used heavy cream because I'm assuming you might be serving with whipped cream. Mm, you better. So having an egg and then having... Yeah. So I just went with I just went with cream because it just seemed to, one fewer ingredient. But then what I like is that you then, after you fold it over, after you brush it with cream, you sprinkle sugar on on that folded over yeah. crust. And you could use sugar in the raw for that. You could use granulated sugar. You could use I like that because you get sugar. a little bit of a crunch and a little glistening Totally. Sort of I element. think actually that sh- the plain granulated sugar might be my favorite in terms of what it, it like turns into just that like ice cracky la- mm, layer on yep, top. Yep, yep. That might be sugar in the raw. You could do nothing, which is also I, I made sure and tested with just the 
the cream wash, but not a crunchy, and I definitely prefer it with the sugar, but... Well, this is funny because I'm looking at the, the apple one, apple pear. This definitely looks like sugar in the raw or yeah. turbinado or whatever. And then the one on the opener, the peach plum. Yeah, that's is just granulated. Granular, yeah. And it gets more sort of like that sort of yeah flaky, glazy sort of yeah, situation. Yeah, like it's starting to caramelize. And then I think on the strawberry one on the first page on that cool plate didn't have anything. No, so we showed looks, it all of the ways. Can we talk about the strawberry? Yeah, please. <laughs> wow. I'm, now I'm scared. I'm kind of calling BS on cooked strawberries, baked strawberries. They have oh. a strange mucilaginous texture when heat is applied to them. They get kind of slippery yeah, and a little gooey. Okay. That's my issue with strawberries. I love strawberries. Yeah. I just don't know if I need them in a pie or galette. Okay. Just throwing it out there. Heard. You know? Then you might be more interested in... One of the other berries for the uh, any berry. So I could use blueberries on this. You could. Yeah. And you could use blackberries and currants if you wanted to. We had that blueberry galette on the BA cover. And what yeah. year was that? Like 12? A bunch of 12 years. 12 or 13 with the melting ice cream and the hand done type lettering. That was yeah, really pretty. Yeah, so that had a pecan. There was some ground pecan in that crust. Oh. I remember that. That was a good crust too. So I will say this about the crust. My The technique for making the crust might be... One you haven't tried before. What has worked for me, and judging by also engaging with people who have tried tried it from the naked a- apple tart that I did and from the book. The thing with making crust is like the first time you do it is the first time you do it. Yeah. And it's going to be like the just getting our feet wet. It's like the first pancake. It's the first pancake. And the key for me was finding a technique that like made sense that felt natural to me that kind of came together quickly also and in the repetition is where you're like really start to be familiar you know and then that some of that confidence so you were saying like how do I know about the water when is too much when is not enough I try to give like enough visual cues so people would know whether they needed a, a little more water but again you'll like learn as you go I, I what I'd like about this cross interesting technique that yields delicious results but with super basic ingredients you always have in your house right one and a half teaspoon sugar three quarter teaspoon kosher salt one and a third cups all-purpose flour and three-fourths of a cup one and a half sticks of chilled unsalted butter right that's it and a little bit of water and most butter crusts like that's all that's all they are ever yeah there's not like a ton of variation in terms of some recipes might tell you to put in vodka. There might be slight variations in the fat to flour ratio, but it's really like how it comes yeah. together. And for me, this like it just worked really well the first time I did it. And then I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to like sort of weed out all the other ways of doing it and just do this <laughs> from now on. So before you put your uh, your beautiful galette in the 400 degree oven, you do it like to do it on a sheet tray with parchment on, on underneath yeah rim baking sheet lined mm. with parchment oh because it's going to ooze there's definitely going to be leakage yeah just accept it mm, leakage. <laughs> it's gonna, and so you want to have go. that rim so it doesn't end up burning on the bottom of your oven correct and the parchment just really helps you detach it from the baking sheet and also with cleanup 
I was going to ask if you don't ever- Don't use if you wax ever, paper. Okay, don't do that. And I was going to ask if you ever do it on a pizza stone, but that would not be smart because that would ooze. And pizza stones Yeah, you might smaller. get some overflow yeah. on the pizza stone. Don't want that. So you roll out the dough and then you put it right onto the parchment on the baking sheet. So I've made this mistake too, where I roll out the dough and I'm like so into it. And then I'm like mounting the fruit Uh, up and I'm folding it. uh, And then I finish and I'm like, cool. So now I have to lift like an assembled galette mm. off of the counter onto the, yeah, Mm, mm, there's mm. no spatula in the world big enough. (laughs) A a pizza peel. A pizza peel. But if you don't have that. Uh, It's really annoying when you do that. So just get it on the parchment. You could lift it from the parchment onto the room baking sheet, but it's just easier to assemble everything, and then you go right into that 400-degree oven. Final question before we go. What's your preference for serving them? Do you like them? If you're having friends over, do you like them to be in the oven during dinner so it comes out pretty warm and you can smell them, or do you Mm. make them early in the day and, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Or do you ever rewarm them? You can rewarm them, Mm -hmm. and I tested that too. So, like, it was like 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. 350, and the crust comes back to life. I don't really like to have the oven on when people come over because it's just hot, and then it smells like dessert when you're having dinner. Also, you're like, oh, shoot. I forgot about the galette. <laughs> I forgot the galette. I've and done then if that it before. takes longer than you thought, then you're like holding up dessert. Mm. So my ideal would be like the late afternoon that this is done. You know what's also nice? Breakfast? Well, galette? no, but, but when people like when they come over for dinner and they see the galette on the yes. kitchen counter, like, ooh. You did that? Wow. wow. Can't wait till dessert. <laughs> and then you can just be like, oh, that that's nothing. No, you should, no be, like, you should be like, oh no, no, that's for tomorrow. Some friends are coming over for brunch. That's right. Sorry. I've got some Haagen Dazs <laughs> in the freezer for you. You guys didn't bring dessert? <laughs> yeah. Weird. I thought I texted I thought you. I... Carl Music, thanks so much. Yes, you can go let that is in the September issue of Bon Appetit, right? Yeah. Thanks. Brad Leone, welcome back to the pod. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, okay, so here's what we're doing. Uh, On each of the next several episodes, we're going to have a different Test Kitchen editor on, and we're going to run through his or her top 10 cooking rules. You're up first. I love it. Lay it on me. All right. Your first rule. I like this one because it's something I don't know how to do. Learn to sharpen your knives. Yeah. I mean, I I live by that. A, it's very rewarding to do. uh, But also, if you have a good knife or even a bad one, which is a great one to learn on, uh, there's a lot of drop-off services, places you can go and bring. And some of them might do a good job. The drop-off your knife, they'll sharpen it. A lot of them just run them on very aggressive and then find belt grinders and just remove a ton of material. Hmm. Like, I would never... You can get a knife, a good knife destroyed at at a... at a not great knife sharpening place. So just invest in a little whetstone, take care of your knife, and you should be able to pass it on for generations. And now can I learn to do this on YouTube? What's the best way to learn how like the proper angle and motion and all that? Because I've seen you do it in the test kitchen. It's mesmerizing. The water's running. You're scraping. And yeah. I've brought my knives in a few times, and I take them home. And it, they, it's so cliche to say, but like they feel like they're brand new. Right, absolutely. And it doesn't take much. Uh, yeah, great way to learn. I mean, sure, you can go books, but this day and age, the internet, YouTube, it's really you can learn just about doing anything. Okay, related to that, this is also a good piece of advice. I, can't, I, I, I don't know how to sharpen, but I have done this first one. Buy a good knife. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that ties right into with the knife sharpening, but you know, it's an extension of your arm. And in cooking, a good knife, a good chef's knife is something that you're going to use over and over. And if you take care of it properly and sharpen it correctly, it could last for for lifetimes. And it'll make cooking easier. It's safer. You're not fighting. You're not pushing. You should just be gliding through what you're cutting. A couple thoughts on this. When I was like really young, moved to New York, 
started working at the James Beard Foundation, like I was very enamored, like French chefs, and I like, got some a ten inch cooking chef's knife. <laughs> ten inch is way too big. Like, it's a monster. I feel like eight inch is like the sort of the comfort zone for most people. I bought my wife Simone a six inch knife, which she loves, and I find myself using a lot. Yep. But I think eight inches max for for an all purpose knife. Yes. I think so. I mean, it depends what you're doing. I mean, a big 10-inch, like, lobster splitter or something. Okay. Like, It's just, it's very French, you know? Uh, or a slicer can tend to be a little sure. a little longer. But, but if you can have one all-purpose chef's knife. I vote 8-inch, Okay. Oh, something that's, which you will use your knife on, buy wild salmon. Yeah. So there's a lot, I mean, people love salmon. It's probably one of the most uh, consumed fish in, in the world, I'm, I'm guessing. But, um... Yeah, you know, there's a lot of farmed ones, and they're not all created equal. In fact, there's a lot of them that are kind of farmed poorly, and maybe they're not fed the best things, or you know, different antibiotics, and they have their their side effects. You know, when you harness that many fish in a pen, you still, even in its, when it's done some of the best ways, there's still some very harmful side effects to the ocean and the and the waters that they're in. I I'm just a big I support supporting healthy fisheries that have good practices and and, and fishing habits. Like like Alaskan, I, I love Alaskan salmon, and uh, you know they 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 work hard to keep it strong. They work hard to keep people and influencers influences that are harming it out. Um, and it's just a much healthier product. You see it sometimes; it's leaner and the color is brighter. And it's it's just it's doing what it it's it's being a salmon. It's doing what it, its whole life what it is meant to do. And I think it's just a healthier not only for us consuming it but for the planet. What's your favorite type of wild salmon? That's like for the Ooh. most, just the biggest delish factor. So there's a there's a whole, there's a type of fish up there. They call it chum salmon. Mm-hmm. The name they need to remarket that because <laughs> it sounds horrible. But a friend of mine up in outside of, uh, outside of Juno sent me a side of of chum salmon, and it blew me away. The fat content it was almost like king, uh-huh. and uh, there was something really special there. But I love sockeye, I like coho. Honestly, I love I kind of love them all. A good a good you know wild king salmon. It'll cost you. If, Fifty dollars a pound, some yeah. places. But uh, I figure we could have a whole pot on this. But one last question: How seasonal is wild salmon? Ooh, good question. Well, the thing is, it freezes well, so I okay. don't, I don't know the exact seasons. Um, of course, it's kind of like I don't. It's not very large. Yeah. But when they get them, they freeze really well, and if they handle them correctly and bleed them out nice, um, most of the stuff you get anyway is frozen. It's hard to get. Not exactly. Know, yeah. Bleed them out nice. Shifting gears. <laughs> See, this is one I feel like I don't. I feel like I practice half of this, but not the other half. Use good vinegars and oil. I feel like we, in this sort of like this Mediterranean age of the last 30 years in America, we all buy a good extra virgin olive oil. We're told about, we get so much preaching on extra virgin olive oil. We know about that. I feel then I just go to the grocery store and buy the random red wine vinegar. Right. Well, back to the olive oil point, and there's a lot less options of good vinegar more there the market has grown a bit uh in the united states where really good olive oils are found you can get them in supermarkets you know yeah um but you go looking for a really good wine or really good vinegar there isn't a lot there uh, there's a few but you kind of have to know what you're looking for that's the beauty of the internet too you can kind of you can order right from the from the maker do you have what are your favorite vinegars to use for some cooking? i mean there's that one out in california i believe it's in the, the napa valley cats that's a that's a test kitchen fave yeah cats some... is also that's also a favorite of josh mcfadden chef at ava jeans yep. uh, out in portland who's i would say is kind of the salad maestro these days and just amazing things with salads and raw veg they make a few and it, it'll just it'll once you do get some good vinegars 
it's hard to go back. You'd be like, how did I do this? Exactly. It? It's, it's so bright and it fresh. It just elevates it. And compared to like just a generic kind of run-of-the-mill vinegar, it's like A and Z. Yeah. And that's Katz. Um, not like the musical, but K-A-T-Z. Right. Like the deli. Uh, like the deli. Thank you. Oh, see, this is like something I worry that my mom never did in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> no shade to Maxine, but refresh your spices oh god so many spices die in in spice cabinets like a slow death a slow decades of yeah. death of just oxidation and drying out and you're losing that beautiful color and also that aroma and flavor i mean perfect example bay leaves and people hate bay leaves you, don't get me started <laughs> i just did well some of them they're left in there for you know my mom oh go get a bay leaf it's been in there for 25 years you touch it it turns to powder yeah it just shatters yeah or like a nice uh, uh, a chili flake my or, mom my mom still i bet she still has dried marjoram in her <laughs> spice jar from when she moved from washington dc like 15 years ago 100 percent. i mean smell them look at them if they look bad they're gonna you don't want to just go tainting your food with something that you know if it's bad, get rid of it. Get a new one. You'll thank yourself. And I imagine part of the lesson there is to always buy it in smaller quantities. You read my mind. I was going to say, don't go buy unless you like are running a restaurant or using an insane amount of Aleppo pepper or something. Buy in a small quantity. That makes you know, so it doesn't just sit and die in the cabinet. All right, Brad. This one seems really. I don't know if it's obvious. It's pretty broad, but I'm going to let you have this one. <laughs> And also, this is maybe I'm guilty on the first half. Try new recipes and foods. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say. It's kind of cliche, but, you know, for a reason, I'm assuming. you got to break out of your comfort zone a little. You know, it's your easy routine, to— Your routine. You're like, your weeknight routine. Exactly. It's And we're all guilty of it. You know, to, we cook the same handful of things for weeknight dinners. Because you know it works. Because you know it works. You know how to do it. It's tasty, yada, yada. The kids like it. The list goes on. You know, but if, you know, through different restaurants or different ideas, pull inspiration and if you just tweak things or try things, you know, it, it doesn't have to be some big crazy, you know, a recipe or dish. But, uh, you know, just to, I think it's important to the takeaway there is to just step out of your comfort zone, and try new things. All right. This one intrigues me because I, I don't think I do it. Season your beverages. Oh, it's the next big thing, Rappo. Um, <laughs> everyone's always great. Season your salad. That was a big thing for a while and also very true. We season everything. Salt is, it brings out flavor. Um, chocolate chip cookies now. Everyone's got to have salt on their chocolate chip we cookies. We salt everything. Yeah. Why does no one salt their drinks except for me and probably a, a million other people? But, you know, anything <laughs> from a lemonade to a, a cocktail to a, just a little pinch of salt. Just a pinch. It. Just a little pinch. That's it. You know, it's an essential mineral, or if you're like, if you're doing something, you know, if you stayed up, you know, or if you went out to dinner and maybe you and your friends had a little bit too much wine, you know, it's, it's, it's a type of electrolyte. So it's just going to add, mm. and you know, not like, you know, not a crazy amount, just yeah. a pinch. And it kind of, it'll bring out, especially like in a lemonade, a lightly salted lemonade or like a Arnold Palmer, you mm. know, and it just, all it does is just like in food, it's just going to bring out any flavors that are in that drink. Also, I mean, it's interesting. It's so obvious that we don't think about something like this, but you think about like a margarita, would you like salt with that? Delicious. Yeah, makes right. that lime pop, makes yep. the sugar pop. All right, Brad Leone. All right, we got a couple more. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got three more, Brad. That's it. Did my homework. All right. For once. Take notes. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I mean, I'm speaking on for myself here, but like sometimes you're cooking, it's kinda like it's kinda like art. It's kinda like painting or something like that. You get into it, you're you kind of forget you, you I use the word loosely, but you like black out. You know, it's like, you, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty loose. You, you, I want you to you're cooking. While you're cooking. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you're cooking and all of a sudden it's like you grab some of this and like, oh, that seems like a great idea. Throw that in there. All of a sudden you sit down uh, and you have this beautiful dinner and it's hard to recall everything that you put in it. So, so I like to keep a little notebook if I'm getting into something that isn't going to be very easy. Yeah. To, 
I just make a little note. It's almost like a little like a little doctor's notes of of recipe. So you have building. an actual little journal that you do you keep in that the in kitchen. the kitchen. Yeah. So like, oh, added maple syrup to this uh, marinade, whatever. It was yeah. great. Or if Try like I'm, if I'm getting excited, like oh, it's Saturday, I'm making short ribs, and like maybe I don't even have a plan yet, you know, just but I'm starting to brown them. I don't know. Then I start getting excited. Then I start getting into the dish that I'm making, and this hey, this is maybe something I'm gonna want to recreate again. Yeah. Uh, just some notes. And again, you might want to tweak it a little differently, but at least you know what you did so you can recreate. And I've been guilty of that sometimes where I'm like, all of a sudden, like two years later, something will jog my memory. Like, oh, yeah, there was that time yeah, that where I run. added this to yeah. that. Why haven't I done that since? Because I notes. blacked out because I had too much red wine <laughs> and forgot about that thing I made. Uh, I like that one. All right. So I have a little kitchen journal. Yeah. Which is more fun than like using your notes app on your phone. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, you you don't even have to write down, it's just little notes. It's not like, you don't have to develop a recipe. Second to last one, prep for parties slash dinner. Yeah, all right, so you know, I'm sure you've had people over for dinner or whatever, (laughs) and and, you know, as the guest show, for me, to have a game plan, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. You wanna have as much done as you can beforehand. Yeah. You know, season your meat, your big, you know, your big steak or whatever. Or if you're making a side, you're going to make potato salad. Have the potatoes made. Have the potatoes boiled already. Yeah. Things like that. Or even have the whole thing done already. As much do as head uh, that you can and plan. So that way, when you, do, you when you are there, it's you can actually kind of enjoy yourself a little. Okay. See, I'm. <sighs> you're still going to be stressed. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I, I feel like sometimes I've over prepped because I'm the type who likes to be organized and have everything crossed off. So then when people show up, you're like, okay, should we eat? Whereas like, there's, there's always those like really kind of cool Alice Waters type people who are just like, oh, let's just hang out in the kitchen while right. I chop some of this and season that. And hey, try this. Can you help me out? And like they make the sort of the process of cooking seem so laid back. But I guess they've done a lot of the the prep prep work so everything's cleaned and boiled yeah, or whatever ahead of time. I love that idea. I love bringing people together in the kitchen, especially at a party or dinner, you know, but having your stuff set up, your mise en place, your, your game plan, it makes sharing, doing your Alice Waters yeah. kind of cooking experience a little easier. But yeah, get some of the dirty work out of the way. Like, you know what? We were talking about this earlier. You know what you guys don't want to do? They don't want to clean and devein shrimp. Right. No, that should be done. That should right. be done. And Maybe it, they want to put the shrimp on skewers. That's fine. But they don't want to like do that whole sort of that's, yeah, perfect example. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last one. You ready, Brad? I am so ready. Simplicity. Yes. Simplicity. Less is more. All right. Example. You went out and you bought a hundred dollar blah 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 ribeye or a nice piece of fish. Why go covering it up with, you know, it's easy and maybe you like it to each of their own, but like go covering it up with some store-bought bottle of teriyaki sauce, you know, or something, (laughs) time and a place, whatever. I'm not judging anyone here. But if you're spending some money on really good things, I like to just use like a little bit of salt, a little bit of olive oil, and I want to taste that thing. I want to appreciate the ingredient that I am cooking with and consuming, especially when it's something, you know, it could be as simple as a Japanese eggplant or, you know, a giant piece of halibut. Yeah. For me, I like to to showcase what makes that ingredient special and covering it up with a bunch of, you name it, sometimes isn't the move. No, it's just maybe it's a little bit of seasoning, a brush of a, a, a simple glaze or something. Exactly. Um, but especially with protein, if you're going to spend the money, whether it's fish or pork chop or meat or whatever, appreciate that because it should be if it's that good enjoy it enjoy it and like the moral of the of that of that rule of mine and i forget the chef that that told it to me oddly but uh, it always sticks with me especially when i'm developing recipes or even just cooking on my own is that the less is more you know like you have eight things can you do it with six 
Yeah. You know? It's something like that where it, it's easy to just keep adding things, trying to make it something special. But some, a lot of the times, it, it doesn't need it. Brad Leonard, you've got 10 rules, and we're sticking with them. Thanks, man. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.